0: This is the Just A Bite Podcast, giving you access to authors, influencers, and experts in the culinary field and beyond. With your host, Malika Bowling, we discuss food trends, blogging, social media, and much more. Find us at associationoffoodbloggers.org. Here's your host, Malika Bowling.
1: Hi, I'm Malika Bowling, and this is the Just A Bite Podcast. Today, we're talking to Emily Taffel and Sarah Cower of Mugsy PR. They're going to tell us how they use social media to transition a popular South Florida Food and Wine Festival from an older crowd like 60, 65 plus to an event that draws in thousands from the ages of 21 to about 40. Thanks, Emily and Sarah, for talking to us today. Thank you for having us today. We're happy to be here. Glad to be here. Wonderful. Well, tell me first about the the event. Give me an overview. Sure. Uh, Boca Bacchanal is the signature
2: fundraiser for the Boca Raton Historical Society and Museum uh, in Boca Raton, Florida. And it's a two-day event. We have it on a Friday night where we hold vintner dinners, where we have phenomenal vintners from wineries across the country, uh, very high-end wine companies who come out and They're paired with a chef also from someplace across the country, and they actually cook a four-to-five-chorus meal at a private home. Uh, It's an intimate dinner for about 35 to 45 people um, at private homes or venues throughout Boca Raton, and that's on Friday night. On Saturday night, we have what we call Bacchanalia, and that's a humongous event where we have uh, 30-plus restaurants and hundreds of different wine tastings. It's held at the Meisner Park Amphitheater, And that's on Saturday night. People come in and they get to uh, taste phenomenal food, drink amazing wine, enjoy some live entertainment, and it's just a lot of fun.
1: Oh, yeah, that does sound fun. I'll have to put that on my calendar. (laughs) Most definitely Definitely. April 6th and 7th.
2: Yeah. So we actually, um, when we started, we started about five years ago with the Boca Raton Historical Society and Museum. And that... The work with them, when we first started, it was definitely an older demographic. It was senior citizens who were coming to the Boca Historical Society, uh, coming to the museum, and they wanted to support the community. They wanted to support the event. They had great attendance, but it was an older crowd. And so we said, you know, we're missing a very, very, very large contingency of people who live in the Boca Raton area. And that was something that we thought okay we have to switch this we have new families that are moving in they're young we have a lot of singles who are in the area a lot of um, you know people involved in the arts and lifestyle and they're younger it's this millennial demographic and we think we can drive interest in this event so we started working on some new strategic plans to really truly change the demographic while of course not forgetting about the demographic that has supported this organization for so long so basically we started with a few things. We really we launched a brand new social media program for them. Uh, we really started pushing more on Instagram and Facebook. But then we also launched the I Am Boca Raton campaign. And this was done a couple of years ago. Um, Sarah, I don't remember if that was 2014 maybe we started that? 13, I think 14? It, was,
0: it was 2014,
2: yes. Okay, so 2014 we started I Am Boca Raton. And what we did is we went throughout the community... We had very large signs that just read hashtag I am Boca Raton. We brought them to all sorts of businesses, different locations, different events throughout the community. And people from all walks of life came through and took pictures, and we posted them on social media. And it was really our way to say, you know, everybody has this stereotypical view of Boca. I mean, you hear it on Seinfeld. It was always a joke, and everybody thought of Boca Raton (laughs) as the place where you go to retire and so forth. But it was our way of saying, look at the faces, and you know, there's a lot of young people, there's a lot of, it's a variety of, of people in this town, and so we were able to showcase that. Um, that also, because we then took the photos and we left the signs at the Boca Raton Historical Society Museum. So people who then wanted to be part of the photo project were able to visit the museum and have their photo taken with the sign, which started to drive some younger people to actually come into the museum itself. And then from there, we started to work closely with the museum because we wanted to ensure that the marketing for the exhibits that they were doing were also reaching the right demographics. So it wasn't just about Boca Bacchanal, which is their signature fundraiser, but really about bringing awareness to that younger demographic for the entire organization. And so they did one event, which was Boca Raton in the 60s. And this is just a great example of you know, one marketing campaign we did but for Boca Raton in the 60s, we invited local influencers from social media, mm-hmm. local bloggers, um, and again, a younger demographic of people to come to the event dressed in 1960s hippie gear Huge. with protest signs that said things like peace, love, and Boca, um, make, you know, help us make history, things like that. And everybody brought signs. And we actually staged a sit-in at the Boca Raton Historical Society during the opening debut of their exhibit. Mm -hmm. So with all these hippies standing outside of the museum, we actually ended up stopping some traffic. We got a lot of media coverage for them. It became a well-publicized opening event as part of this exhibit. And because we had these influencers who were so big on social media as part of it, they promoted it on their social media pages as well, and we started to reach a new audience through that. I think one of our specialties really here is creating those – publicity stunts or those events that really um, take people outside the norm and let them have a really interactive experience because
0: that's where we find
2: the most coverage comes about.
0: Yeah. And we could yeah, see and, what and the, the Historical Society was doing for the community and how not a lot of people, especially the younger generation, really knew what they were doing. I mean, educational programs that are incorporated in the school curriculum as well as adult educational programs, and that was just bringing light to that on something that we were actually very passionate about, so it just kind of helped us to create these unique ways to get more people to see everything they're doing in the community.
1: Right, right. So now, has that, bringing in this younger generation to the festival, did that cannibalize some of the the older crowd that was going, or was that in addition to? Not at all. (laughs) Yeah, so it's... (laughs) It's been a really
2: cool thing to watch, which is not only do we still have the older generation who still comes out to the event. They are our main supporters. They're the main people who buy tickets to the Vintner dinners on Friday night, Um, though we have opened up actually some younger hosts that have come in, which brought a younger demographic to the Vintner dinners as well. Um, But we we haven't lost the older crowd. If anything, they have just fully integrated with the younger crowd that has come in, and last year, for the first time ever, at the end of Bacchanalia, we had a DJ playing, and we had people of all ages who created a dance floor in the middle of the festival and were breaking it down by the end of the night.
1: Good, good. Well, fantastic. So are they, uh, like, it sounds like there's the, you, you talked about the, the Vintner dinners, so it's like, is it certain events um, that you would say that only the older crowd will go to, though, and then maybe there's other ones where they're both at? Like, I, I just don't see millennials having a lot of disposable income.
2: Well, see, I actually disagree with that. I think millennials have quite a bit of income, and we found that because if you think about it, with so many Internet companies and so many online businesses and things like that, you actually have a lot of millennials who... I mean, the, you, some of the new millionaires and such are millennials.
1: Yeah, okay. So I
2: think that is one, like a lot of people discount that generation, but they have a lot of disposable income. And they're willing to spend it, but they're more willing to spend it on experiences and not necessarily mm-hmm. products all the time. So that's why I think, you know, events like this really do um, work for that generation because they do want the experience. They are, the Vintner dinners themselves are pretty amazing because you do get to sit with the chef. You sit with the vintner. You get to meet them. You get to talk to them. You can ask them questions. They really tell stories, and they describe each wine and why it's paired with the food. And it's a really exciting experience. There's entertainment. You're in a gorgeous home or venue. Uh, last year, I think somebody even brought the Doobie Brothers at the end of the night to come out and play a concert. I mean, <laughs> they two go all out ago, for the vintners. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, two years ago. But, um Everybody, I think it's something that the community looks forward to. And even though the ticket, like the ticket price for the Vintner dinners is $325, but we do see a lot of millennials who are starting to buy that ticket. And within the last couple of years, we, like I said, we brought in, you have a host for each Vintner dinner, and we've brought in some of the younger uh, generations, some of the younger socialites, things like that, to host the dinners um, so that they do bring in their friends and a new crowd of people. Who really have enjoyed the event and then spread the word. And year after year, we're seeing more and more buy those tickets.
0: It's going towards a, a good cause in their community. Like, it's not just about the experience. It's about mm-hmm. what it represents to them. And since the Vintner dinners are all hosted um, and expenses paid by those hosts, of the proceeds from that Vintner dinner ticket go back to the historical society to continue those children's educational programs, the adult educational programs, the exhibits about the history of Boca and them sharing all of that information that people wouldn't have known otherwise. We also have great partners for the Vintner dinners that have unique silent auctions at each dinner which kind of drives people like, oh, I want to get that experience or I want to get that, and that's another, you know, donation aspect for the historical society. That's an mm-hmm. added benefit to those millennials that also still goes to that great cause. Okay, and then when the historical
1: society brought you in, was their objective that they did want to reach more millennials or did they just say we want to sell more tickets and that was your idea?
0: I believe their main objective was they wanted to reach out to more of their neighbors, both in Boca Raton and beyond. You know, Boca Raton is in between Delray and Boynton and Deerfield and Parkland. And they wanted to just spread the word that this isn't just an event for, you know, a certain demographic. This is an event for everyone to come together and have a good time for a good cause. So I, their goal was trying to, bring in the historical factor with the fun factor it's always good when the the company
1: that hires you is is lets you have free reign to to do the events that you want to do and do the promotion that you want to do because sometimes it's it's difficult if they say no we just want to do this
0: one thing definitely very open to new ideas change staying the same just anything to you know spread their message Mm-hmm. Good, good.
1: And so I have to ask this because I am not a millennial. I'm a Generation Xer and I feel like we've been forgotten and everybody wants to go to the millennials. And it, it you kind of hit on this before where you were saying that they have more or they have disposable income. Do you think that that's why that everybody wants to, to get the the millennials interested in their, their uh, events?
2: I think that's part of it. I also think that while they have not just the disposable income, they have the social media savvy to create the virality and kind of that grassroots spreading word of mouth about events and such that we all want to see. And so when you talk about things like social media influencers, which now becomes part of all PR campaigns and social media campaigns and things like that is to work with these influencers, um, you do tend to see that that's somewhat of that millennial demographic. That being said, I also think it, it does have a real thin line there between the Generation Xers and the Millennials because I know I fall Agreed. right on that cusp
0: as well. And, same You know, a few other people. Yeah, line, and I don't want to call myself, I believe in the Millennials, <laughs> but I deny it daily because I just don't <laughs> feel like I am. The right? And so, like, I think that that I don't
2: think there's, I don't think it's a lost generation for Generation X, but I do uh-huh. think that right now just the focus, with the millennials, is it's the buzzword of the last few years, and it's just simply because they do know that so they've grown up with social media. The technology that's out right now has been part of their lives forever. you know. And yeah. so if you're talking about, like, how do we promote an event on Snapchat, for instance, well, you work with the millennials because that's who's on there. Oh. And so I, I just think that's why it's become such a hot topic. But one of the biggest things that we've always uh, worked with the historical society about is how do we target the millennial demographic, but how do we also reach Generation X or the baby boomers or any, you know, any other generation of people because we have to have them all come to the event or we're losing attendees. Um, we really try to cross market to everyone.
1: Good. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm glad to hear that too, that you're obviously me being a blogger influencer and president of the association of food bloggers it's it's good to know that you are working with millennials because there's been or not millennials but influencers it's it's there's been a lot of backlash lately about influencers i don't know if you've read any of those articles that have come out about influencers don't yes. influence anything yeah. and so it's, it's good to hear that you obviously do want to work with them. And I'm, I'm curious to know, do you set a budget to work with influencers for every campaign that you have, every brand you work with? And then what would you say is the percentage of that?
2: That's an interesting question. We don't set a budget for every client to work with the influencers mm-hmm. simply because it really does depend on the goals for our strategies of what, right. you know, what the client needs. Um, that being said... Especially when you're looking for event marketing, um, when we're talking about some retail products, like what we found is a lot of, and I think the reason for a lot of the backlash is a lot of the influencers are charging quite a bit of money for, let's say, a single Instagram post or an Instagram story that actually disappears over time. So now you're paying one fee for an Instagram story and then another fee for a permanent post on their Instagram page. And that could cost one of our clients a very large chunk of their money, like of their budget for that, that quarter or that year even, just to work with that particular influencer. So one of the things that we've actually done um, is Sarah and I have worked very hard with our team here to reach out and really create some long-standing relationships with influencers. Uh, we've, we have the same clients that we've worked with for a very long time. And mm-hmm. so we know which influencers work best for that market, And we've reached out to them. We create events that we invite them to specifically for uh, media and influencers and things like that. And we we build those relationships, so we don't always need a budget to work with them. Um, And we try to create more earned media with those influencers than we do, let's say, paid uh, posts and things like that. However, when it's the right influencer and the right client and everything works itself out, we have had clients who we do put a percentage of that budget towards working with the influencers, but it's not really a set rate because it's, it really is more customized by the client.
0: Yeah, it's got to be the right campaign. I mean, we've got one local influencer that not only posts about all the events for Boca Bacchanal and the Historical Society, but, you know, they will also go the extra mile, and any ads that we have in our set budget for advertising campaign, they will also incorporate in their um, online site. So they'll use that. They'll send out email blasts multiple times a week. So that kind of give and take and paid sponsorship is a lot more beneficial and very beneficial to a nonprofit. Oh, of course, of course.
1: Yeah, I, I love hearing that you, that you really enjoy working with the influencers and you understand about nurturing the relationships because I, I know with influencers we get so many emails and so many pitches and mm-hmm. there's so many PR companies that just they want us to promote, promote, and they don't give anything back. And I'm not talking about payment. I mean, just like, you know, hey, have an event for us, or give me a pair of tickets to this event, you know, and it it sounds like you both really understand about nurturing the relationship, which is so important when working with influencers.
2: It really is, and I think a lot of, I mean, what we see across the board, and one of the things that we really try to do is just remember that we all talk dollars and cents, and oh, to work with this person, it's this amount of money for this post, and this size article, and this and that, but Everyone's just human beings and everyone wants to, you know, be able to have the, an experience or go out and enjoy an evening out or something. And if you, d- you just work with people as yeah. human beings, you start to understand what events they like and what they want to cover versus what they feel
0: obligated to cover because you're paying them. And, so you and what the readers to want to see yeah. and cover and, yeah. you know, just getting to know them on every level and yeah, yeah, and that's,
1: it says a lot that you're there and you're working with the local influencers because I think a lot of PR companies too, if they're, let's say they're out of New York and they're trying to work with, uh, I'm in Atlanta, and they're trying to reach the influencers in Atlanta, they don't have those relationships and it's hard. So I, I really do think it is important for festivals and, and places to, if, if, it, if the destination city is important, you need to work with the PR companies that know the influencers in that city.
2: I agree. You know, we also, we do have clients who are in New York and L.A. We have a client in Russia and things like that. So we, we do work with clients across the country, across the world. But at the same time, when you're talking event-specific marketing, right. um, like the festivals and things like that, most of them, if we're working, we work with a festival out in Topanga, California. Mm-hmm. And Sarah and I and our team would fly out there for several, you know, for a week or two to be out there to be able to make sure that we were on the ground meeting with people year after year, making sure that they knew who we were, even though we 're from Florida, just to ensure that we can build those relationships
1: now you talked about the Instagram posts, and so I'm, I'm wondering is for your promotions that you do let's say for this festival, was Instagram more important than a blog post or an email blast, or because I just see like everybody is so Uh, or the the public relations people seem so interested in Instagram posts, and do you think that that's the the number one thing right now, or is it all of them?
0: I really think it's a combination because we are talking about those different age ranges, the baby boomers, the Generation X, the millennials. They're all going to get their information in different ways whether it's Facebook ads or sponsored posts or email blasts or the society scene or just the blog posts of the pre-events that bloggers are talking about what's to come and what's new this year, buy your tickets so you don't miss out. It's a combination of everything. And since we are including all those different age demographics, you know we just can't do one without the other. So we incorporate all of them. We just do it very strategically because, I mean, every year in September we get a budget from the historical society that's paid through grants. Mm -hmm. And then every year, Emily, I don't know if you went, was it May? We go back to that grant meeting and we talk about what we use the money for and why you should give us more money and how it's enriching the community.
2: We just have to be super strategic with our planning overall. So like Sarah said, It is a combined effort. I don't – Instagram is fantastic, and it definitely with the Facebook algorithms. Um, Yeah. Instagram makes it a bit easier to promote than Facebook does, especially nowadays. Um, But you can't do it without the email blasts combined and things like that.
1: I um, because I just see that there's so many brands that are like no we just want Instagram and and it's and I as a, I started out as a a blogger where writing was so important and now it's, it's it's kind of sad to me a little bit that it seems like there's so much shift towards just Instagram and the pictures and so I'm glad to hear that that all those forms of media are important so I think there are a lot of us that still like to write right content <laughs> right. is always good.
2: and some of us who still like to read. So there's, yeah, So yeah. Well, that's good.
1: Yeah,
0: that's, that's true. To know.
1: Well, you've given us a lot of good tips, but is, is there anything else that you want to tell the brands or PR companies that are trying to work with millennials or bringing in a new demographic, any advice that you would have?
2: The best thing I would say is don't stereotype or demographic, which is to say that a lot of people would look at some of our senior citizen you know, demographics and say, oh, the over 65 crowd doesn't use Facebook or isn't on Instagram or may not want to attend a certain type of event because it just doesn't fit their demographic. And the truth is that's just not true anymore. You have senior citizens. We had an event a couple of weeks, maybe a week or so ago, where we brought in, we have a luxury car sponsor, which is Excel Auto Group. We did an event where we brought in Ferraris, Lamborghinis, um, Rolls Royce, and McLaren. <laughs> yep, and we brought in a bunch of luxury cars and brought people to different restaurants in Boca where they got a sneak peek of some of the restaurants that would be a part of Boca all this year. And it was all media and influencers, and they ran the gamut on the age range. We had people who were in their early 20s, and we had people who were in their 60s and early 70s who came on at this event. And you had senior citizens jumping right into those sports cars going 100-plus miles per hour at this event. Oh, well, I don't know about um, that. I don't
0: think so. I don't know. <laughs> well,
2: okay, right. They Well, they weren't driving. We had drivers, and they weren't on open roads mm-hmm. at that point. But, <laughs> <just kidding. laughs> um, but, yeah, no, and, you, you know, when we have millennials who you would think, you know, there's a certain way to market to them, and they really want to come out, let's say, to the Historical Society events and learn about Boca history and be a part of that. So you really can't stereotype. I think the best thing is create an experience or create material that, is truly just interesting, that it doesn't matter how old you are, it's just simply interesting or exciting or educational that people want that information or want to be a part of it regardless of age. That would be my best way.
0: And I would say also just getting to know your local bloggers and influencers, like we said, I mean, you know, they all came out to that event and gave us feedback on what we were doing for them and how they appreciate, you know, we represent more than just the Boca Bacanal and the Boca Raton Historical Society. And that night they were asking about those other clients and what other things we have going on for those clients. So again, it's that mutual and symbiotic relationship like we're doing for you, and they still want to know, like, well, maybe if they're doing this, they have something else that my readers are going to want to know about besides the Boca Bacchanal Wine and Food Festival. They may have, you know, a new, you know, fitness studio opening up that is going to be beneficial to our local community and that does also things for their local community you know make those relationships and both sides win i love it i love it that's fantastic advice
1: from both of you so if somebody wanted to attend a boca Bacanal event how could they do that how could they find tickets and then also tell us how can brands reach you if they want to hire you
2: all right well boca Bacanal. Uh, We're going to spell it for you because (laughs) um, it's not the easiest of websites to go to, but it's com, and that's B-O-C-A-B-A-C-C-H-A-N-A-L.com, com, and that's April 6th and 7th, and there's information about both events, ticket links, all of that up on that website. And then for brands who want to get in touch with MugZPR, we are at MugZPR.com. And then PR on every single piece of social media out there so they can find us on there as well. <laughs>
1: Great. Well, it sounds like a really exciting event. I, I don't know if I'll be able to attend this year, but I'm going to need to put it on my calendar for next year for sure. Yes, please, Most definitely. And we would love to have you there. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Emily and... Sarah, it's been wonderful talking with you both, and uh, I think you ladies are doing a phenomenal job with um, reaching out to bloggers and influencers, so keep up the good work. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you.
0: Yeah. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Just a Bite podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes. See you on the next episode.